Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rusciutti, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. From its very inception, and for a couple of hundred years, New Orleans was a place people moved to from all over the world. Toward the end of the 20th century, things started to go in reverse. Every year since 1963, more people were leaving New Orleans than arriving here. Then, early this century, the tide turned again. Among the many reasons for this new wave of migration was something we hadn't heard in a long time. People were moving here to start a business. Both of my guests on Out to Lunch today moved here, one from Los Angeles, the other from New York, for very different types of businesses. Courtney Williams grew up in Jamaica and moved to New York City as a teenager. Courtney describes himself as Exhibit A for a great education. After law school, he became Director of Development at America Online and then Vice President of Business Development at AOL Time Warner. Courtney was a part of that $165 billion merger between AOL and Time Warner. One of the biggest mergers in history, it was the first connection between tech and entertainment and paved the way for everything that was to follow from iTunes to Netflix. After his monumental success in corporate America, Courtney wanted to start a business that would utilize his knowledge and experience to make something more than money. He wanted to make a contribution to building a better world. To that end, Courtney founded a tech-driven education business called TORSH, T-O-R-S-H, which stands for Today's One Room Schoolhouse. TORSH allows school principals and heads of college departments to monitor and mentor teachers. It creates an online meeting space where all of a teacher's records are collected and available. And it's a cyber meeting space where teachers can share resources. TORSH's clients include Notre Dame, Purdue, Johns Hopkins University, and many more. Courtney founded TORSH in New York. In 2014, he relocated the operation to New Orleans. Courtney Williams, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Jenna Hart Black grew up in Metairie. She moved to Los Angeles to pursue a career in the fashion industry. And like many people in L.A., Jenna became increasingly concerned at the overwhelming number of homeless people living on the streets. Wishing she could do something to help these folks while at the same time looking for a way to move back home, Jenna made both of those wishes come true. In 2015, she and her husband moved to New Orleans and Jana founded a company called Bonfolk that makes socks. You may have seen Bonfolk socks and more recently Bonfolk towels too. They have New Orleans inspired designs like potholes or beignets and, and Louisiana designs like oysters or a swamp scene. For every pair of socks Bonfolk sells, they give a pair of specially designed resilient socks to organizations that distribute them to homeless people. And for every towel they sell, they give a towel to a needy person, especially disadvantaged kids learning to swim. Jenna Hart-Black, welcome out to lunch. It's lovely to be here. Thank you for having me. Courtney, when you founded Torsh in 2012, we were living in a very different online world. At that time, giving school teachers and college faculty technology that allowed them to collaborate online would have been 
pretty revolutionary and exciting. Then along came the pandemic, and we got to spend days, weeks, and months on Zoom. We all got way too familiar with breakout rooms, digital whiteboards, and screen sharing. Given that kind of technology is no longer unique to Torch, I imagine there must be something significant about the content of the program itself for it to be adopted by so many prestigious institutions. So what is it about Torch that makes it unique and different from uh, just a Zoom meeting room? Uh, that's a great question, Peter. Um, so most teachers, when they go into a classroom, they close a door, they connect with their students, and they feel very alone because it's just you and your students. And there's another teacher next door and another teacher next door, but they're not connected. So one of the critical things that we provide to teachers on an ongoing basis is the ability to be connected with other teachers in their building and other teachers in their city, in their state, in their community. So the community becomes much bigger than just your school. It's now a national community. So that's a pretty critical part of what we do. The other critical part of what we do beyond just the technology is we facilitate the ability of an organization to support, develop, and grow their teachers. And they do this by connecting with outside um, individuals who have expertise but who wouldn't otherwise be able to come to that school or wouldn't otherwise be able to find the time, but through a virtual community or virtual connection, they can bring their expertise into that classroom building. So that I would say is a core of what we do, connecting and bringing teachers together and supporting them in their growth on an ongoing basis. Jenna, New Orleanians and Louisianians have embraced your socks and the Bonfolk business model. To date, you've given away over 700,000 pairs of socks to homeless people. Now that you've proven you've got a successful product, you're looking to expand beyond the borders of the state. But while people everywhere can embrace your business model, it's unlikely that a great number of people in other states are going to want to buy socks with designs of beignets and potholes. Had you been aware of that obstacle to growth from the beginning? And have you had a plan for that all along? Or has your success surprised you and you've just had to adjust on the fly? Well, the success has surprised me. Um, people from all over the country are loving the Louisiana designs. Like on our website, we get sales from California, New York for beignet socks. And like, I would have never thought that, but luckily everyone loves New Orleans. So like I do, so that's really wonderful. Um, but recently we've been going to different trade shows. So like we're having booths, we call it market in the industry where buyers come and like we have a- the big one in Dallas? Yes, like yeah. the big yeah. ones in Dallas. We do Atlanta, we're doing Las Vegas where we set up a booth and buyers from all over the country come and visit our booth. Um, it's basically a big showroom for us where we display all of our socks and we see what the buyers gravitate towards. They place orders there at market um, and they give us ideas of what we're missing, what we could add to our line. So that way I'm learning across the country, like what are people wanting? What do I need in our line? So I've been just adding designs over time based off of the demand for different ideas that they're wanting. Courtney, one of the things that you bring up is the idea that you can change uh, a child or a student's trajectory in life. Um, people have this conversation all the time. What is it that makes a student do better than another? So this is a question that lots of people think about, parents, um, teachers, um, administrators. The research is pretty consistent though. There are two main things that influences how successful a child is academically and in life in general. 
The first is winning the parent lottery. Who your parents are. I mean, it's a huge determinant of your success to the point where it's somewhere in the 60 to 70% range, right? For those people who don't win the parent lottery, which most people don't, the next determinant is the quality of your teacher. So the teachers are the, what I call the, the equalizer for those who do not win the parent lottery. And so for children who are from disadvantaged backgrounds, from poor backgrounds, challenging backgrounds, it's really, really important to have a quality teacher in the classroom because that teacher is going to be able to make up for a lot of the things that that child is lacking at home. And so that is the biggest determinant at the end of the day. It's not how many new computers, not how new the building is, not how great their sports teams are. It's is Mrs. James or Mr. Thomas that's in your classroom, does that teacher care about you? Can that teacher provide you with the information you need to make up for the fact that you're not from a parent that's college educated or you're not from a parent that has lots of assets? And that's a driver, which is why we focus not so much on the student, but on the teacher, because that teacher touches multiple students per year, multiple students per, um, you know, per day. And we wanted to have at scale the ability to touch as many lives as we could. Jana, um, I would imagine when you go to events, everybody has a, a different idea for a pair of socks, right? Is, uh, I mean, is, is that what, that's what I would do if I met you somewhere. Yes. And uh, are they good? Some of them aren't so good. We get lots of crazy requests. I'm trying to think of one. Um, lately, I've been getting a lot of requests for college theme. Like all, everybody wants their school. But you run into like sock. NCAA stuff there. Yeah, right? but um, I do inspired by. Yeah. So you know their colorway and, and like a fun design that represents that town and that school, but not necessarily through them. But that's not something I'm saying that I won't do. Yeah. Royalties in the future, but. But I that's not do a that crazy like, request. I want to yeah. hear a crazy request. Like, crazy. what's the craziest uh, 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 request you've gotten for oh, a pair of man. socks? That you're just like, no, nah, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> I don't know. Nothing too crazy. I get a lot of requests for people wanting, like, a lot of wedding requests okay. with, like... No, like, sexy socks, things like no, that. No, nothing <laughs> too crazy. You're going to do Sorry, this when you get a... in the car, aren't you? There's a... <laughs> you know, it's yeah. funny. I keep thinking as, as you move to other areas... Um, it, other areas all have known for something like something is a you never thought of like Indiana is known for its popcorn and Cincinnati for its chili and I guess Atlanta would be traffic I guess that was what that oh, would yeah. be they, uh, but you know what's I think it's different about New Orleans is that we get the biggest kick out of like the pothole socks the things that might oh yeah and other places people would not relish our right problems. everyone's but believe it or not at market I get so many people relating to the pothole in their city I'm like oh wow I didn't think anybody else had the pothole problem like we do in New Orleans but I guess they do <laughs> maybe it's a more national problem well, I'm kind of a pothole snob I think we, yeah. I think we got it there they uh, hey Courtney when you go to sell this idea yeah. um, uh, what what are the main points and first of all I want to ask you this first does it do you go to uh, public schools charter schools private schools the whole whole gamut so we did an assessment about five years ago about um, what our customer base looks like in terms of the composition. Are we doing urban, suburban, poor, rich? The vast majority of our customers uh, provide free or reduced lunch to their students, around 90%, which means we're serving the neediest of the neediest of students. Um, when we sell, we don't necessarily target those environments. We sell in terms of need. 
which organizations, which cities, which districts have a need for their teachers to improve dramatically? Because those are the organizations who are going to be willing to spend the money to purchase our services to move their teachers along. If you're in a suburban or, you know, sort of like wealthy neighborhood where almost all of your kids graduate from college, you'll make the assumption that you're doing a pretty good job. Even if you're not, even those kids came in with lots of um, advantages, they're going to graduate. But if you're looking at your school and you're saying 30 to 40 percent of my students are not graduating every year, then you're going to be looking for a way to improve your teachers to make that number higher. That's how we tend to look at it. Which schools are having the largest challenges? Which schools need to improve their teachers in the fastest amount of time? And then we go talk to those organizations. So we serve a lot of charters because charters, when you think about it, typically are found in environments where there are lots of challenges and they believe they have a model or a different way of doing things. And those charters are much more willing to try different things to change the trajectory of their teachers in a faster period of time. You know, at Tulane, I do some work with first-gen students because the, I was a first-gen. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think what I see is that if your parents hadn't gone to college, it's mm -hmm. a little tougher. Is, is that one of the correlations? That is a correlation. I mean, the, it's hard for somebody, to your point, to imagine a world that they didn't grow up with, right? A lot of times you hear people say representation matters. And what they're really talking about is that for you to see yourself in a particular role or a position or in a place, it does help to see somebody else that looks like you who has done it before. So for, you know, I, my example, my parents went to college, but their world was a little bit narrower than my world is currently. So when, they were, when, when friends would come over, the people that I met were, you know, there were some lawyers, there were some professors, there were some faculty members. So when I thought about what I wanted to do in my life, I didn't think about being an entrepreneur because none of my parents' friends were entrepreneurs. I didn't think about going to business school because none of my parents' friends went to business school. So your world in some ways is sort of like influenced by what you see or what you can imagine just right in front of you. So that is most certainly a correlation. Even though in, in the schools we work, it goes much deeper than that. It's not just the fact that their parents didn't go to college. It's the fact that they live in environments where there are systematic issues or systematic structures that are built to make it hard for them to do the things that they want to do. So even if their parents went to college, it's still hard to get out of these communities that have been historically disenfranchised, and they have to deal with that on a daily basis. Those are the bigger issues more so than did your mom or your dad go to college? It's like, where do you live? I mean, I could tell you a lot about how you're going to be, who you're going to be by, where, by your zip code. By just looking at your zip code, I could pretty much predict with a fair level of accuracy what your life is going to be like as a 20, 25-year-old. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Courtney Williams from the education coaching platform Torsh and Jana Hart-Black from the sock and towel company Bonfolk. Jana, now this is the model you have that one-for-one uh, one that we, I guess most people heard of through Tom's Shoes. Uh, I'm going to tell you that a lot of people listening right now, they think, I love the socks. I really want to see the towels. But if you're doing this, Jana, can you make any money? Yeah, I mean, I factor that into our cost, but we could make a lot more money if we didn't donate. Obviously, it definitely cuts into our margins, but that's the heart and soul of the company is to sell the socks and be able to donate to all of our awesome nonprofits we partner with across the country. Oh, that's, that, is, that is great. And when you, uh, we spoke to someone that worked with the homeless, and uh, I'm not saying this just because you're here, but the first thing he told us was that um, the single number one need is socks. 
Is, is as far as clothing, yes, socks are the number one requested clothing item. And then from there, it's like underwear, undergarments, yeah. things like that. Things that you wouldn't necessarily donate used. You know, like you could donate all your old jeans or your old T-shirt or sweatshirt, but you wouldn't think like, oh, I'm going to give my old underwear and socks. You just throw those away when they get funky. Do the homeless folks, do they get like cool socks with uh, uh, beignets on them or what? No, we design socks specifically for the needs um, of the nonprofits at what they request from us. And pretty much all of them request a solid black sock, some sort of sock that they people could wear to a job interview if they had to and something that's more durable and won't show dirt. So we created like a special sock for people in need. To really hold up. Yeah. yeah. They, it's, so what I'm curious about is what has been your experience in operating or starting and building a business in New Orleans? Did you start your business in LA before you moved it here? Or did I you start started it here? it here in New Orleans. Yeah. I went to college in California. I'm from yeah. I'm from New Orleans originally when I moved to Los Angeles to go to fashion design school. Yeah. And then I wanted to start a company back home where I could give back in some way, I could use my skills, use my fashion design, my graphic design skills and um, that's when I found out that socks are the number one requested clothing item. And as yeah. nobody in New Orleans had a sock company at the time and or in Louisiana. And I was like, oh, wow, I there's kind of found like a gap in the market yeah. where I could do both things, create a company that can give back to nonprofits, help people in need and design fun socks for the community, um, get the community involved in the give back process. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's how Bond Folk was formed. Have you found it easy to find funding, investors, loans? Um, What's been that experience? I started the company with a small, very small SBA loan um, with a very high interest rate. And I brought out (laughs) six designs. Um, I would pop up a tent at every market in the city that I could do and see what designs people liked. And every market, not to toot my own horn, but I would sell out every night. Wow, so that was really awesome. cool. I just kept bringing more and more. And then I cold called a bunch of boutiques in the city. And I said, hey, would you want to stock my socks? This is what we do. We have some fun designs. And over time, I just grew the company organically for the most part. I just started doing these trade shows um, last year. So for the most part, boutiques contact us now about okay. stocking us. So that's been really amazing. Like I'm so lucky when i was starting the company it was so hard to find something that i could trademark and a website and an instagram handle a social media that didn't already exist and like a logo that didn't already exist so i just made up a word i was like you know i'm just gonna make up a word that's meaningful and people could connect with and also kind of has like that french new orleans roots courtney um who do you sell to um is who pays i guess the the school or the so we have probably three or four typical customer types so we could sell to the district we could sell to the individual school so at the principal level we could sell to these third-party organizations that have coaching services so they have actual coaches that are hired by the schools so we sell our product to them we sell a platform to them and then they deliver their coaching services through that um, through our platform to their client. And then we sometimes will sell to schools of education, so the dean or the head of um, you know, development at, the, at the, the university. So those are our, we also sell to counties and states, so there's lots of different potential buyers, but it's the entity that is responsible for training and developing the teacher or the leader. Courtney, you've, you've made a big deal of 
trying to hire locally, yeah. and that's that's pretty pretty terrific. Who are they? Are they yeah. former teachers? A range of people. So as I shared with you earlier, when we were just kind of like um, shooting the breeze before we started the program. Um, I started a, a company that was intended to recruit locals, particularly in the hospitality industry, and retrain them to do sales and customer support in tech. Now I did that because I thought it was a good business, but I also did that because I had a need. So Torsh was hiring a bunch of salespeople and customer success people. We couldn't find enough here locally, so we figured that we would just go train others to do it so we could hire, and other members of the local tech community could do that as well. So the people that we look for, believe it or not, I mean, like, my, my best salesperson right now has no previous education experience. She's just a beast. She just can sell. She's a hustler. <laughs> She's a hustler, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, in sales and customer success, you tend to look for, you do want some industry knowledge, but the, the most important thing is, can that person connect with others? Will they be able to learn the product and be able to sell it? And then you sort of develop the, the expertise and the industry knowledge. So I have ex-teachers. I have um, people that were previously never in tech, uh, people that were never in education. There's a range of, of personality and, and former uh, backgrounds that are on the team now, here. Jana, I, one thing, I guess you've, You've done this in a way through the pop-ups, but do you have any desire to do retail or is wholesale just a better way of doing business? Um, we do e-commerce, so like we sell on our website and then we wholesale across the country. Heavily here in the south are our, store, our stockists, but um, I don't know if we will have our own brick and mortar. Maybe, maybe down the line, but it would be here in New Orleans if we do it. But then I'm like, oh, do I want to have one because I feel like our our stock is here are already doing an amazing job and like having the brand out to the public here so I don't know Jenna who buys these socks who are um, who are sock buyers um, so the majority of our customers are I don't know I guess it would be about 50 50 men and women um, and our socks are unisex I try to design them where they're for everyone the designs are just can read to everyone, so. Um, and they're novelty socks. They're novelty socks, a, yes. Yes, so, and that's one of the ways, uh, you know, men, us people, uh, we have very little ways to distinguish ourselves in getting dressed, and socks is kind of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a fun way to express your personality, but it's kind of hidden. So we have a lot of attorneys who buy our socks. We have doctors who will wear them to the hospital, maybe, like, if they're a pediatric doctor, they'll, like, wear the fun design and then the little kids oh. can see them and yeah. smile and um, I had a funny story a woman told me she was going to the um, gynecologist and she wore our socks and she had to put her feet up in the sternums and she was wearing our beignet socks and then the doctor was wearing the beignet socks oh. and they had a little moment about it and she's like oh it just made the whole appointment like so relaxed and funny and um, but we get a lot of like <laughs> wedding parties, like men will have their groomsmen all wearing the matching socks and, um, so if you, if you look at a 20, let's say a 20 to 25 year old male wearing a suit today, you'll notice that the pants are very slim fit and short. Shorter. So, Luckily, yeah. high waters are in. I'm exactly. Like, yes. <laughs> so previous generations, the, the, the. The pants would fall, they'd be a little crease right above your shoe so you don't, no one would see your socks. Part of the reason that the pants are high now is so that you could actually showcase your socks. 
So you showcase your shoes and you showcase your socks, and that's part of the fashion. So yeah. this is going to become a bigger and bigger part of men's fashion to be able to like peacock a little bit. It like has, show and it's bit. really grown since 2015. Like the demand for socks has exploded, which is awesome. That's why I put our embroidery logo down by the ankle so that when the pants are high water, you uh, can see our logo strategically nice call. placed. And what a great time for high water. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're constantly doing that. I, I, I've got a last question for Courtney, though, is, you know, I teach, and I would feel a little icky that somebody was coming in to observe yeah. me uh, yeah. and then make make uh, suggestions and comments. I guess that suggestions comment part yeah. would have to be done in a very, I don't know, I want to say friendly, but yeah. um, so they don't get their back up, you know? So a couple of responses. So you teach at the collegiate level, is that correct? Yeah. So you're an entirely different group of people than the folks that we target. Most faculty members are teachers secondarily and researchers primarily. So teaching is not really how they're evaluated on their job. When you get into the K-12 world, someone coming into your classroom observing is absolutely a part of your day. It is a standard part of how you get developed. Uh, your, your principal will come in and just stand in the back of the room, take notes and leave. They may even have an assistant principal or an instructional leader that might do that. So it's a classic part of ongoing professional education. Now the second point you made is actually an important one, which is although you're observing me, I don't want to feel like you're just there to do a gotcha. Like I'm just looking for the one little thing that you've done wrong and I'm just going to get rid of you. So the way that feedback is provided is really, really important. Are you being supportive? Are you being sort of like um, punitive, right? You can't, people don't develop and learn in highly punitive environments. They develop and learn in supportive environments. So the way you provide the feedback is really important. And what we help them do is to capture all that information in a manner that can be shared between both. So it's not like you're sitting back with a piece of paper and you're telling me what's going on. The information you're looking at, I also have. And it's a collaborative conversation. So we think that this does, in fact, make it easier for teachers to, to, to learn and become better. When doctors graduate from medical school, they're meant to be guided by the fundamental principle of medicine embodied in what's called the Hippocratic Oath. Uh, basically, it's a declaration that says, do no harm. There's no equivalent oath for small business owners, but I think it's fair to say that most people today who own their own businesses want to feel that whatever they're doing, they're in some way making the world a better place. There's a name for this type of business philosophy, and it's called social impact. Jana and Courtney, you're both great examples of entrepreneurs who build social impact consciousness into the very fabric of your business. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you for moving to New Orleans, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. It's been thank a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Jana Hart Black, owner and designer at Bonfolk, and Courtney Williams, founder and CEO of Torsh. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation to find out more about Jana, Courtney, and Schoolhouse Socks by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. 
Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our researcher is Maggie Mendel. And today's show was engineered by Blake Longlinay. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base joneswalker.com and by basic swimming gym and basics underneath fine lingerie mitchell foreman wrote and performs all the music on out to lunch you can hear mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com if you'd like to be part of out to lunch to learn how your business or organization can become an out to lunch program partner email info at inobroadcasting.com